This short code podcast is a proud member of the MedEd Media Network. Inspiration, information, and guidance on your journey to medical school and beyond at mededmedia.com. Meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the short code podcast. Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews by students for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcoat.com. Welcome back to the Short Coat Podcast, a production of the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine. I'm Nick Lind. We've ditched Dave again. I think I lost him in the hospital somewhere. With me today are some more wonderful CECOM parents. From the interwebs, we have Rising M3, Sally Haberlin. Hi. And in the studio, we have Rising M2, Katie Hyham Kessler. Hello. And are you a Rising? You're kind of like M1, M2, somewhere in between. Somewhere in between. That's cool. Close enough. (laughs) And Rising M3, Jess DeHaan. Woohoo! Hey, guys. Rising M4, Zach Tully. How's it going? Thanks for joining me. I'm, I'm excited to have this conversation today. Um, so I kind of want to just jump in and have you guys introduce yourselves. Does somebody want to start? I'll start. This is Jess. So my story, I'm definitely a non-traditional. I went from undergrad into PA school and then worked as a PA. And then my husband and I, we met while I was working as a PA, got married. And then when I'm 29, I start thinking like, well, maybe I should have gone to medical school, which I'm not saying being a PA was the wrong thing. It was just my goals changed. And so I talked to him about that, like, hey, would this be crazy? And he said, no, I'll support you. But caveat We were also at the same stage of life where we wanted to start having kids because I was like knocking on 30. And so he's like, as long as you don't make us wait to have children, I'll be all for this. And I was like, well, how are we going to do that? He's like, we'll figure it out. Hmm. And I also had a very dear friend, a physician friend who encouraged me to go for it because she's like, yeah, it never gets easier. I wish I had kids in medical school. So we embarked on that. I got into medical school here at University of Iowa. And then a few months later, found out I was pregnant. And so didn't really ask permission, just like said, I'm just going to matriculate. They'll figure it out that I'm pregnant eventually. And so that journey was very interesting because they hadn't previously had a female student start medical school pregnant. Mm. I'd even heard rumors that like before they were encouraged to delay matriculation a year. And I understand there's a lot of concerns. You know, you have the formaldehyde and anatomy lab and some teratogenic exposure there. And so you, I just said, okay, I'm going to get a respirator. Mm. And every little thing was like, well, how are you going to do that? I just found a solution for So I looped in the counselor, med student counseling office at my school, met with the dean, met with curriculum coordinators, and there was just a lot of like, we'll figure this out as we go. And so then over my Christmas break, I had the baby five days before the spring semester started. And that was, yeah, that was really stressful. Of course, everyone in the hospital looked at me like I was insane Mm. when they, because rumor got out that I was a med student. I think some one person asked me. And then after that, every single person who came into my LND room was like, I hear you're the med student, which highly recommend you don't let people know you're a medical student (laughs) when you're in labor, because then everyone just like walks on eggshells around you, treats you differently. It was kind of a weird experience, actually. So... I started in that first week, I had a pretty severe 
complication from my delivery and I just like could not sit walk stand so that first week I just stayed home from classes and then uh the second week I came in like for only the very minimal required things Mm. like neuroanatomy lab and some small group discussions but thankfully because of our lectures being recorded I could do a lot of that from home and then they started saying okay you know, hey, it's been like, we're going to give you about six weeks of some of that flexibility where you can do the minimal amount of things on campus. So, you know, come in, of course, for a test. And so right in February is when I started coming on campus more regularly for things and pumping milk. And that was just really difficult, you know, Mm because I would leave in the morning by the time you like leave, get parked, walk in, you know, and everything. And then you just stay throughout the whole day and then you come home. I wouldn't get to spend as much time with my little one. And then, you know, you fall asleep studying because you're exhausted. And what magically made my life so much easier was this horrible pandemic. Mm. Because then suddenly we had so much more flexibility. It was such a blessing in disguise. And I know this has been awful for many people and for many parents who with school age children. It's been mm-hmm. very difficult. I was not in that category. I was in the category of being like, man, it would be wonderful if I could just do med school at home Hmm. (laughs) and that's exactly what I got and so I then in March until the rest of the year was able to spend like the whole year at home with him and I had a fantastic experience and and we can talk about this a little bit more but I feel like one of the things that we have really yielded from this virtual learning and work from home experience is to realize we can have more flexibility we can still be productive we can still get a quality education Mm -hmm. and in the meanwhile really have a more enjoyable experience with our loved ones and it's not for everyone or for all seasons but for that period of my life it was a lifesaver that's amazing it's mm-hmm. a, it's amazing how uh, much of a mixed blessing COVID ended up being for you and your family and, mm-hmm. and we talked a little bit about this during the last episode I hope one thing we can get out of COVID and all of the virtual learning is maybe it will be a lot easier for people in unique situations and absolutely and medical school and beyond to be able to participate in things that had to be in person mm-hmm. in the past absolutely yeah and obviously you can't take a cadaver home with you for your dissections <laughs> you still got to come in for <laughs> some of those preclinical years things totally agree with that yeah but for the bulk of it i think you can do successfully from home that's great mm-hmm. so anyone want to start next i can go next go for it zach all right so for me my Life started, I guess, I dropped out of college originally, joined the military, and then did my time there. What branch? I have to interrupt. I was in the Army. Uh, Who? Were you you in the Army? I still am. Army National Guard. No kidding. Yeah. That's awesome. No kidding. And what did you do in the Army? Just because Zach's a badass and needs to mention that. I was an Army Ranger. uh, What? (laughs) Oh, I am not a badass in the Army. Wow. I'm impressed. I was was stationed down uh, in Savannah, Georgia, Army Airfield, 1st Ranger Battalion. Nice. Um, I did some time there Uh and went back to school because I fell in love with medicine during my time in the Army. I love the trauma training. Yep. Yep. That was what really got me interested in medicine. So I busted my ass and... Got it barely into a, a college, barely avoided community college after my 0.9 GPA after <laughs> dropping out of the University of Colorado. And I managed to pull off a decent GPA and MCAT score and finally got into med school, lucked out, got into the University of Iowa off the wait list and been kicking butt since. My wife well, was pregnant through the acceptance phase towards medical school. And that added a lot of uncertainty for us. We weren't really sure where we were going to live. 
initially I thought we were going to be living in Philadelphia and we had no idea how we were going to live in the big city, mm. uh, probably not in a very safe area mm-hmm. with, with kids. So this was a huge blessing for us to be able to come here and have affordable housing and, and be at a great program. So that was a huge blessing when we finally figured this out. And then we had to rush and find a place to live. We managed to find a place last minute to move into and it ended up being great. And so my wife was pregnant all through the summer leading up to school. We had moved out here in June prior to M1 year and she gave birth. So the white coat ceremony was on a Friday. She went into labor Saturday afternoon. We didn't even think she was really in labor. We had gone to the <laughs> hospital like three times already. We're like, you know, no, you're not in labor. No, you're not in labor. Baby's fine. Whatever. <laughs> and then Saturday afternoon, we're like, you know what? We'll stop in where we have some uncertainty. Maybe your water broke. Maybe it didn't. We'll go to home goods after whatever. <laughs> and so we, we, we went in and she, her water broke and she went into labor. Her, the baby or for oldest, uh, Luke was born on Sunday morning. Classes started Monday. <laughs> and so I took one day off because I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't know idea what I was allowed to do. And I think the school was very supportive, but I was just a very scared M1 and I had no idea what I wanted or, you know, should be doing. So Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm going to just go do everything and kind of threw my wife into the weeds a little bit in the beginning and just started going to school the next day because I had anatomy and I didn't want to miss that or risk making that up or, Mm -hmm. you know, avoiding time at school to be at home when I would have to make this up on the back end. So that was a really tough transition starting medical school and having a baby day one, basically. And so that led to a lot of sleepless nights. I think I hallucinated my way through most of probably the first two months. (laughs) And I, I really, you know, the only reason I got through was because of the support of my classmates. My anatomy group was spectacular. They got me through Mm. our foundations of medical science. I would, you know, sit there during our take home quizzes and stare blankly and then say stupid things and they'd be like, okay, Zach, that's a good thought. And and tell me the right answer, which was, which was very helpful. They were phenomenal and they carried me through anatomy. And then finally, as my child started sleeping more than an hour at a time, I started to actually like, okay, I need to know how to function and, and actually figure this out for myself. So that, that took some time as well to kind of gear into it. But after that, it, it got a lot easier. Hmm. It, it really did. And as you, you, you learn to cope with uh, what you're dealing with, which is very helpful. You know, you, you kind of, it was a very much a sw- sink or swim kind of moment. Hmm. And I was lucky I was able to rise to the challenge. And we had, the, the baby was great. We had a great, you know, second semester went super well. I took the whole uh, summer of M1 year off so I could actually spend time with my child that I had been neglecting for the last nine or so months. Hmm. So that was awesome. And then my, we found out right after my son's first birthday, my wife was pregnant again. I don't know how that happened. I don't know, man. <laughs> it just happens. You sometimes. hadn't had that lecture yet. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. we hadn't had our OB lectures yet. And so now I know. Um, (laughs) (laughs) and so now we then we had another child born in may of 2020 right at the beginning of the covid pandemic and that was a huge amount of uncertainty was i going to be allowed at the hospital Mm -hmm. who would be allowed at the hospital was anyone going to be allowed to travel to visit us and so we were really worried about that so we're from new jersey originally and we moved out to iowa completely you know we have no family we had no friends here i'm so lucky i made some great friends we had a dad squad 
yeah. that, that we kind of linked up pretty quickly early on and they were great support through this whole time. And so we had our child during the COVID pandemic. And like Jess was saying, that was a huge blessing in disguise as tragic as it has been for so many people that really made things not even just bearable, but excellent. I got to sit in zoom lectures and hold my newborn all day. I would feed him. I would put him down to sleep. There was no issues. The school let me take a day off just so I could be there for the birth. And I'm sure they would have let me take much more time off. I was still a very nervous M2. <laughs> so I, I still just, you know what, I'll just jump right back into these Zoom classes. And they were super supportive. I, I used my newborn son during our peds rotation, during doing some exam maneuvers, the Orlutani and hmm. Barlow maneuvers. I was... You know, so that was a great way to participate and practice without actually being in the hospital. So I still got a, I feel like a decent education in that. And now we have a one year old and a two and a half year old, and things we've just been thriving. So this is great. Mm. And actually, we just found out my wife is pregnant with a third. So hey, congratulations! Yeah. Thank you. That's so awesome. I couldn't let Nick beat me. Yeah. <laughs> We're going for the hat trick. Well, that's okay. Sally's got us all beat, but her story's Yeah, yeah, fun. yeah. But you know, one one question that kind of came up in the last episode, uh, we were doing some Q&A stuff. Some people had asked, yeah, your your wife stays at home uh, with your kids. How do you manage finances? Like, are, are you like a Dogecoin millionaire or like, uh, you know, what are you doing to pay the bills? How do, how do you take care of that family? Yeah. So, I mean, no Dogecoin millionaires yet. Uh, you know, hopefully working towards that. I don't know if people are still buying that, but, um, so I, I had the GI bill for the first two years, which was very helpful. I had used, I had blew through undergrad cause I knew what I wanted to do. So I had two years of GI bill left for med school and they have, they, there was a fairly generous stipend with that. And so that covered rent and it covered tuition, which was great. And since then, I mean, I had some money saved up prior from working. I was in the army. I saved up some money and I worked as an EMT and a medical scribe and was able to save some money before school. We had lived with my wife's parents for probably almost a year and a half as mm-hmm. I was getting med school sorted out. And so that that has been very helpful. But now that's all gone. Mm-hmm. So kind of living off of loans. And I think there's options available that I'm probably going to have to look into about, you know, increasing my loan burden in order to help, you know, continue to support my family. And then I have one year left. So hopefully that won't rack up too much of a bill before I get out of here. Sure. Great. Thanks for uh, that's a, that's an amazing story. Uh, I, you know, whenever I think about having a newborn day one of medical school, I I don't know how you did it. Like I I was there watching you, and I don't know how you did it, but like it, it was you definitely t- a wild you ride. Tell me, it was all a blur. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So, anyone else want to tell their story? So pretty different story. I was a dance and English major. I would be useless in the army, but I joined a dance company after college and did that for a little while and found that when that kind of ran its course, I had no direction and no idea what to do with my life. And it actually took me probably another 10 years to figure that out. So in the meantime, we moved to California so my husband could do a PhD Hmm. and I was just working at various things. I was a massage therapist for a while. I was a tutor. I did some office work. And we had our first daughter while he was in graduate school. And I guess what I would say about that was that was actually the hardest, even though I was working not full time at the time, because it's your first child and that can be really rocky and it can be a big identity change going into parenthood when all of a sudden, like 
you're on call 24 seven for this very needy, fragile infant. Mm -hmm. And also just luck of the draw, what child you get and whether they sleep and whether they cry all day, which my first one kind of did. So first year was definitely, I would say it was the hardest year of my life, that first Mm. year of being a parent. Anyway, so we, we've, but she's great now. She knows she sleeps through the, she's seven. She sleeps through the night. Good. <laughs> it happens eventually for almost all of them. So when we finished graduate school, we were kind of betwixt in between a while, but eventually we ended up in Fort Worth and we had our second child there. And by then I had figured out that I wanted to, to go to medical school. So while we were in Fort Worth, I started chipping away at prereqs hmm. and we had our second child, our son, and then started applying to medical school. And we knew for sure that we wanted to be somewhere that would be good for families mm-hmm. that really I mean, Texas has its own weird application system. I don't know if any of y'all know about that. So that's like a separate thing unto itself. But beyond that, when I was looking for schools to apply, I was really focused on where could we live well as a family. And I credit the podcast, actually the short coat for, for bringing me here because yeah, nice. no, for real, because I was, you know, on my commute back and forth to Arlington for my classes, I'd be listening to podcasts and this is one that came up and I really just loved how friendly everyone seemed and how open and yeah, the the vibe that I got. And so when I looked into it further and that sort of consolidated that for us and we're so happy living here. I love that from where I live, it seems like everything is seven minutes in the car. Mm-hmm. That's a big, big thing. Having living lots of places with lots of traffic, it's just, and my, my daughter runs outside and plays with the friend across the street and they just run around the neighborhood and I don't worry about it. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah, um, I was great. Yeah. <laughs> I don't take it for granted. So, but then I had my, my third child in January of this year, my first medical school year. So almost in a very parallel fashion to Jessica, almost exact same timing, except that it was my third and not my first. So I felt like I, I knew a little bit more what I was getting into and I just lucked out with this baby. She's a great sleeper. She's very sweet and mellow. But that being said, I think the only reason that I was able to continue with coursework was because of the zoom Mm. it's just it's a lot to ask a new parent to be juggling in and out of the house and juggling whatever childcare you can cobble together for the first six weeks when they can't even go to daycare yet and so zoom was definitely a blessing a huge huge blessing for me and even with that additional you know as we were talking a little bit before i've i'm taking sort of a half half credit load Mm -hmm. so i'll take five years to graduate and i'm stretching my first it's a little bit complicated, but I'm stretching the preclinical out an extra year. That just made the most sense for us because not just having the infant, but also the toddler who actually mm-hmm. takes a lot more time and energy than the infant. <laughs> that is definitely fair. <laughs> right? <laughs> but everybody's doing great and we've adjusted to Iowa beautifully and yeah, happy ending. That's great. So wait, how many of us are from Iowa versus not from Iowa? I grew up in Virginia. Virginia. And Zach, you're... I'm in New Jersey. Jess? I'm from Florida. My husband's the Iowan. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm Iowa. Yeah, same here. I'm I'm from Iowa. <laughs> but, th- but that's a big piece of the puzzle too, right? So n- not being able to have family here or not having them here all the time. We weren't sure. You can't keep the grandparents away. They came. So yeah, <laughs> COVID yeah. or no COVID, they came. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that was great. We had my mother-in-law here for a month and then my parents here for a month and that helped a lot. But, you know, eventually they have to go home. And so of having that mm-hmm. that local network is definitely mm-hmm. something that we we miss. Yeah, I think that that came up a lot in some of the questions that we talked about last last episode with do you have that support around you? And, you know, it's 
most med students don't uh even if you are from that state you know my my parents live three hours away from me so it's it's not like they're gonna just drive every day to come in and see us so you're, you're probably gonna have to be prepared to not be in that med school in your hometown where where you have all that support Listeners, if you ask us a question, it means that I don't have to make something up to talk about on the show. And the show becomes what you want it to be. So send your questions to the shortcodes at gmail.com or leave a message at 347-SHORT-CT. We'll talk about it on the show. So Sally, do you want to tell us your story? Yes. So I'm very non-traditional as well. My first career was a high school English teacher. So I did that for 10 years. And... I loved it. Like I would have been fine with doing that my whole life. I just started to feel, I worked in a lot of urban districts and with a lot of at-risk students. And I just started to feel like, you know, I really wanted to help them, but how much is it helping them to teach them how to write a really good literary analysis about, of mice and men, you know, I started to see that they had much bigger problems. So I just seed started to kind of grow in my mind about going to medical school because I just felt like, you know, like family medicine, just taking care of their basic medical needs would be a lot more helpful. Hmm. So I started taking, I also thought it would be fun to teach high school, like chemistry and biology and stuff like that. So I just started taking those classes because either way I could either go to med school or I could teach those classes. Hmm. Either way, it'd be fun. So I started taking those classes and eventually got into medical school, but the parenting part or the being a mom part of my story, I think is interesting because I think having kids is kind of what gave me the confidence to go to medical school. I Hmm. think, so my kids, when I started medical school were four, seven, nine, and 10. So I've been a mom for a long time, but I think being able to just empty yourself out like physically, emotionally, mentally for the sake of others is kind of like a natural high. And it also, Mm -hmm. I think parenting just shows you like, I mean, earlier we were talking about like sink or swim, you know, like it shows you like what you're capable of. Yeah. So after having four kids, it was, it was like, okay, now, now what? Like, (laughs) I can do amazing things. I can yeah. be up all night. Um, <laughs> I can be at the end of my rope and I can still like work and do a really good job at that. So like, it was almost like it um, inspired me to just kind of challenge myself for the sake of others, hmm. I guess, because when people are involved, if you're doing it for people, it's worth it, you know? So my story is a little different. Whereas like the kids kind of inspired me to do it in the first place, I guess. So I didn't have any babies while in medical school. My youngest was four when I started and he was already sleeping through the night and potty trained. Well, it's so not too really late, funny. Sally. You know, it's not too late. Yeah. I think it's safe to say. But, and like you guys have been saying, classmates, so supportive. Yeah, um, yeah definitely. So kind. And two things I'd just like to mention that I think actually, I feel like I have it easier than people that don't have kids or it just benefits, I guess, of having kids in medical school is it forces me to use my time super wisely. Like Mm -hmm. 
during preclinicals, I would come in and get there like at seven or seven thirty, and I'd be like, okay, I have until five o'clock to get all this stuff done. And I would just like work my butt off and use like every second that I could so that I could go home and spend time with my kids. And cause that was like my reward at the end of the day, you know? So I think that was really helpful. And then another thing that's really helpful is when you have kids, it just puts everything in perspective. Like you're about to take this test and you're so worried you're going to do horrible and feel so stupid. But then it's like, well, does it really matter? Because I mean, you just like look at a picture on your phone of one of your cute kids at home and it's like, okay, who really cares if I do crappy on this test? Like I have this amazing human. So I think in some ways it helps and in some ways it makes it easier and keeps me more balanced. And so, yeah, that's my story. Can oh, I... and my husband, I have to give a shout out to my husband. He is an elementary principal. He's super good with kids and he does so much like cooking and cleaning. So you have to have a spouse who's on board obviously it's not easy job for them my wife has been staying at home and i would i don't Mm -hmm. envy her i don't know if i could do what she's doing she's tough Mm -hmm. right yeah i just wanted to piggyback on what you said sally and and say how now that i'm in clinicals as a mom since I did practice medicine before medical school, I've been able to see a before and after comparison of how parenting has changed me, even in how I practice. And it's been such a positive experience. I'm so much more empathetic. I see things and can and read in between the lines of things that before I was oblivious to, or like even if just the attending physician is trying to talk to mom about like an informed consent procedure and the child is just like going crazy because they've been stuck in the hospital for three hours on a really tough day I know how to like take that little child aside and just entertain them and I know some people without kids are already naturally gifted at doing Mm -hmm. that I was not one of those I was a person who didn't know I had a maternal side until I had a child and so it's definitely made me a different person in my medical practice as well Mm -hmm. yeah I agree and if you think about it it's you know so much of what we're trying to learn to do is to really understand the, the patient's story and their perspective and where they're coming from, even if it's really, really different than your own. And that's pretty much life with a toddler. Like they have their own, like they are little alien creatures who are coming from a totally different place that you are. But if you want to work together and work with them, you have to, you have to be able to under, you know, that's your job as the parent. It's not their job to explain it to you. It's your job to figure it out mm-hmm. so that you can mm-hmm. help them move past it or, you know, resolve the situation or whatever. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't and that's think, a learning curve. Yeah. I'm still working on that. It's hard. <laughs> I don't think I would have ever understood until having kids myself. Like toddlers are monsters. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're magical monsters. Magical though. monsters. Yes. Yeah, people, people talk about difficult patients and I'm like, I don't really get it. I guess. Because yeah. I'm just so used to dealing with difficult. I mean, after the toddler years, like nobody's difficult compared to that, you know, like whatever they're a little bit demanding you know and they're not bad they're yeah. just you know it's, I, I love that what's that line children do well if they can and i think i sort of like try to take that perspective on mm. people in general like people get into emotional places and they get stuck just like any like adults do this too it's not just our you know it's not just people who are sick and it's not just children like grown adults we do this all the time too and those are the patients that we give up on a little yeah. premature i think or the colleagues yeah that matter yeah yeah mm-hmm yeah, it's amazing. I, I think, you know, kids for me have uh, really made me more interested in things that are pediatric. Like, I, I'm not going into pediatrics, but 
I, you know, I enjoyed my pediatric rotation. I enjoy the pediatric portions of other rotations. And, you know, it's, it's, that's not something I would be at all interested in prior to having kids. I, I, you know, I've always thought kids were fine, but, you know, I think they definitely change you and, and change who you are and how you think. And they're, they're definitely blessings. I know you all told your story and I, if you all want to hear my story, I told it on the last podcast. I, I have three kids. I have a newborn at home and part of this podcast is uh, part of an elective that I'm doing. And we might even talk a little bit more about that. We won't go too in depth because it was also discussed in the last podcast. So, so check out that last podcast. Today's show is sponsored by Panacea Financial, a company founded by two doctors who were frustrated as medical trainees uh, that banks didn't seem to understand their unique needs in the medical field. So they built a company just for medical students and doctors. With nationwide digital banking, Panacea Financial provides medical students with free checking that includes no ATM fees nationwide, high-yield savings accounts, a free personal banker, around-the-clock customer support, with loans designed with you in mind. No one should borrow more than they need. But with Panacea Financial, fourth-year medical students can get money as needed in as little as 24 hours with their PRN personal loan. What's PRN stand for? As needed. Yeah. And and why is it what PRN? Is it is it, is it Latin? Latin? Oh, I think it is. It's Latin something. It's like per Pro Renata. Pro Renata? Hang on. Look at AJ Googling. AJ's Well, I mean look. He's got all that free okay, time living with his parents. Yeah. And I went, oh, yeah, it just You're being whatever. pimped on Latin? On <laughs> uh, pro renata. That's what he said. <laughs> oh, well, Instead of running I up. I didn't hear. I was too busy Googling myself. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of running up credit card debt, try their PRN personal loan that is designed to give you a better way to cover expenses such as residency applications and relocation or board exams. Some customers actually use it to pay off toxic credit card debt. In addition, medical students can have a period of no or reduced payment on their PRN personal loan. Join the growing number of medical students and physicians nationwide that expect more from their bank. Go to PanaceaFinancial.com today to open your free account. Panacea Financial is a division of Premise member FDIC. Why don't we move along into another show topic? So, you know, somewhere between 7 and 10% of medical students and medical school as parents. And uh, some of them come in, like uh, you heard, some of us came into medical school with kids. Others have kids along the way. Definitely a challenge. And I think with changing demographics, we're seeing more and more older students and and more women in medical school. And, and that's really going to change this conversation more and more as, as we keep moving along. So what I wanna talk about is how medical schools can can support medical students how medical schools are already supporting medical students and in general just a little bit about some of the research around this topic of of parenting in medical school and i know jess you have done a lot of work in this area you've done some research on your own you've read the literature that's out there and i'm wondering if you'd just like to talk a little bit to some of that and and you know we can kind of get a conversation going on 
on what's going on in that arena. Yeah. And then feel free to fact check me and, and sure. <laughs> jump in since you have papers in front of you as well. Yeah. So I became interested in this when I started looking into our policies. Actually, I started looking into policies when I found out I was pregnant before starting school. So every school I applied to, I would look. And then I got curious and started looking at like, maybe the ones I wasn't applying to just for comparison. And so that's when I got this idea of pursuing this as a research topic because there was absolutely no standardization. It was totally unpredictable. Some places had like no policies. Other, I found like hardly any that had fantastic policies. And so then I formally approached that research uh, project with a classmate of mine, a shout out to Brad Fleming. And I also have a couple physicians I'm working with, Dr. Franklin Dexter, Dr. Amy Pearson. We are doing some research on this now. I can't discuss in detail because it's not yet published, but I can do like a review of the literature of the things we've been looking at. And so really when I did a literature review of the topic last summer, I could only find one paper that talked about this issue for medical students specifically. Mm-hmm. And it was out of South Dakota School of Medicine. Mm-hmm. So it was just a small single institution survey for medical students there. And really everything else in the literature had to do with residents, had to do with attendings who are staffing medical schools. And there's hundreds of publications on them, or I should say at least say in the tens, you know, maybe not quite over a hundred yet. But I remember I got at least over a hundred hits that I looked at and only found one at that time. Now there has been since a few more. And what the South Dakota survey looked at was just asking students, hey, do you find what elements do you think should be included? I mean, and some of it's just so basic. You would like think it's common sense, but you still don't Mm -hmm. really find it in a lot of institutional policies. You know, how a student can arrange for maternity paternity leave how much time a student can take off and still graduate with their class how the student and school jointly devise a plan to make up required courses missed during the leave how to request additional accommodations or flexibility for breastfeeding if it interferes with their expected activities does the plan for communicating the policy to students like exist how are they doing it you know Mm -hmm. just because it's in your online policy doesn't even mean that like staff and coordinators are and definitely students are aware of it you know and what was interesting is sometimes you find it sometimes you don't you know you have to find the the right thing to google and then the last two other item items that were mentioned of importance in that south dakota survey was a statement that the school wishes to be supportive of pregnancy and parenthood and medical students and that they should have resources available for mental health counseling i think that's important for males uh, who are dads but also definitely women in that postpartum period we know can be very difficult so those are items of great importance that i think we need to take a look into and there have been there has been a call just recently like you brought to my attention like since i did my literature review last summer there's been a few things published just this spring Mm -hmm. a couple one was a study that looked at all 199 med schools MD and DO. And out of those 199, they could only find 65, so like 33%, mm-hmm. that had parental leave policies available, at least from what they could see online in the handbook. Doesn't mean that like maybe they don't have case by case situations they allow for those students. And also interesting, the majority of those were DO. It was like 60% DO, 25% MD. So, 
I think it really is telling about the culture of medicine right now. And interestingly enough, too, if you look at the AAMC graduation questionnaire data, as the percentage of female students increases, the percentage of graduating students with dependents has decreased. And I wasn't, I haven't been able to go back. That data really only goes till, was it like 2015, 2016? So I could look at like the past few years and then maybe like one other shot I had like saw some data from, but I would like to look at like a very continuous Mm -hmm. comparison of that. And I don't know how much of it is even statistically significant or not. It was just an observation I made recently looking online. I was like, oh, Is that because as more women are entering medicine, it's becoming harder to do that uh, during our childbearing years. And so we're putting it off. And so you're going to have less graduating med students who are parents as more and more of them are female. And why is that? Is it just because they don't feel supported? They don't know how to do it. Mm -hmm. Is it just a cultural shift? Maybe we're more career minded. You know, I think all of the above is true. You know, we're getting married later. We're having Mm -hmm. babies later. So. I would say there's still quite a dearth of literature out there. I would say most of the articles you read are saying like, we need more extensive research on this. Yeah, definitely. And then did you want to talk about some of the solutions now or were there other things that you found as well addressing the problems of interest? Yeah, I I mean, I think that that's really the that there isn't enough out there. We don't know enough because we haven't had good surveys surveying medical students for for what they really feel and and what they need and and how they best think they can be supported. So I, I think that's one clear message that we need to take away is that, you know, there's something going on. Students are are having fewer kids in medical school. And and we don't we don't know why and and we also don't uh, the, it's definitely difficult and, and we don't know how they feel they need to be best supported and and it's also very clear that the policies aren't there so we we can talk a little bit about some of those solutions if if you want well i, I feel like i just said a whole bunch of stuff that was like basically what you said so. no well that's okay because we always need to hear something more than once before we really retain it so no, that's totally executive fine. summary is what you just did yeah yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Before we go on, is I did most of the talking. Is there anything else you guys wanted to add to that? Well, I haven't looked at the research at all, so that's that's very interesting. I just my my experience of other institutions is just from my Facebook ah. medical school moms. I think yeah. it's called where you hear some real horror stories. So that's another great point. Is that I was finding I've actually even had a medical editor tell me, and I will not say which one. Mm-hmm. Oh, this issue has been studied at length. And, you know, it's already out there and like totally conflated that most of that research was on residents, right? And physicians. And then it's like you go on to Student Doctor Network like I did before I started med school, like pregnant medical, starting med school pregnant. And there's just blogs after blogs after blogs like there is interest there is concern it's like, why is it just we're only seeing the tip of the iceberg really in the literature? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, in the last podcast, we talked a little bit about how things are changing for for residency programs where there is a a defined leave policy that's starting this year. But that still doesn't impact medical students. And and I think that's the the clear distinction that uh, we just haven't done this work for medical students yet. 
And, you know, it, it's clear that the leave policies aren't aren't there, and including, you know, the University of Iowa doesn't have a defined parental leave policy. So we have a great breastfeeding one, though. Yes. Yeah. The breastfeeding policy. <laughs> I don't know how that happens. You just immediately go to breastfeeding. But, um, yeah. but uh, That's great. they're with, with the majority of, of yeah. MD schools that that doesn't have that policy. So, yeah, let's talk a little bit about some of the solutions. And, and I kind of want to throw it to the group, too. You know, what, what are some things that you think would be helpful? We, we have some papers that have been written that I can, you know, definitely read off some of their thoughts. But what would you all find helpful as medical students? And, and what are some of the things that you've even experienced here that you're just, you know, you were surprised that that was available and, and it seems very helpful? And I, I can start that out. You know, I talked about it at length in the, the last episode, but right now I'm on an elective where it's called Family Caregiving Transitions, where I'm able to work on a, a project independently on, on my time and I get to spend the rest of my time with my family. And it's it's been a great experience to spend the last month, you know, getting to know my new little one at home. And and that that's a great opportunity. And, and I think that's it's something that most med schools should mm-hmm. look at. You know, how can we get some of those electives where where students can, you know, work on their time when when it's most convenient for them, so that they can be home with their their kids and and e- even you know if they have other caregiving situations that they need to be involved with. Any other thoughts on on some things that you've liked at here at CECOM or or even some things that you think would be more helpful? So for me, like I didn't look or ask or anything about the policies just because I had so much anxiety about starting med school. And I, I had some, you know, very helpful emails like, please let us know if you need anything. But it's so vague yeah. that I didn't even know what I could ask for. And I was definitely afraid to ask being a new student. So if there was like some kind of policy, I definitely didn't even look for it, which would have been smart. But I, that would have been helpful if there was a little more guidance like, hey, you're allowed this much time or you're allowed this much leeway. You know, that would have been super helpful. But honestly, it didn't become a big issue. Like even through clinicals, all the staff were very supportive. Like, oh, yeah please let us know if you need any time. I'm like, oh, well, I'll just take this day off and, you know, that I should be fine after that. And they're like, okay, but let us know if you need more. Like, we're, we're yeah. here, here to support you. You can make it up whenever. So ev- everyone has been super friendly and super helpful and super supportive in that way. There's just no real definitive, you know, this is super helpful. Except in the absence policy, something that is great is it's worded in a way that pretty much says you're, almost guaranteed to get time off for like family medical appointments. Mm -hmm. So it's almost forces like course directors to give you time off if you have kids doctor's appointments, which is super helpful during COVID because you can't have more than one or two people at a doctor's appointment. So I'm able to stay home and watch one of the kids or go to the appointment with one of the kids while my wife or I watch the other one. So that's been very helpful to kind of be able to step away and, and actually make it to those appointments. But other than that, you know, something more definitive like Jess was talking about would be fantastic. I think part of the reason for a lack of policy is the understanding that each situation is very different and having mm-hmm. a baby during your preclinical is different where there's more flexibility perhaps during the clinical years. 
your family situation is different, whether you're depending on loans is different because it's going to depend. It's going to change whether you can afford to take time off school. If, you're, mm-hmm. you're, if your loans get cut off because you take time off of school, then that's a, a problem potentially. So I can understand it from that point of view. But I also one thing I heard when I was sort of trying to gather information before my third was born this past January was, well, you know, you're not the first to have a baby and you won't be the last in medical school. And that's true. But if uh, I, that's absolutely true. But if that's true, why does it feel like I'm reinventing the wheel? So if, you know, some kind of centralized either written thing or a point person, like here's the person in the student counseling center that you go to and they understand sort of all the different pieces of this puzzle and how to get you the information that's relevant to your situation. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, and even the elective that I'm on right now, it was almost an afterthought. I, I was in the office, you know, getting my schedule changed, saying like, hey, I'm doing this because I have a baby coming and I, I'm going to have to arrange something for this month. I, and a few days later, I got this email. Hey, uh, actually, you're going to be eligible for the, for this clerkship. And it's like, oh, I, I, I've never heard of this before. Like, what is what is this clerkship? Wow. And, and so, you know, it, it's definitely not something that's just available for us to see at this point. It's great that, you know, some of these resources are there. But if they were in a, a more defined area, I think that would be much easier for students to to find yeah so i think all of our observations are confirming like people do want to help you yeah they do want to be supportive and sympathetic and help you get through this process no one's saying like don't have a child right it's more so this non-verbal like why isn't there a process in place that gives you anxiety about how to proceed but like when you go on a case-by-case basis i've had a similar experience where i have found people have been so willing like oh yeah i just like i overheard my conversation on the phone with my child's babysitter oh do you need to go just go home it's fine like i would have never asked to go but they're just like very supportive and understanding because many of them are parents too and so i think that individuals within our medical institutions do want to help Mm -hmm. we just need to collaboratively get together and create more of a formalized policy yeah Um, i i agree i think that that's really what a lot of us are dealing with that it's it's there but you know how do we how do we actually interact with with what our options are and and how do we discover what what they are and it's like so many things in life, you know, right or wrong. Uh, a lot of times, you know, you need to be the one who's who's really advocating for yourself in, in so many aspects of your life, asking the questions to the people who are in charge. How can I get this? You know, whatever it is. And, it, you know, if you're a parent, it's, you know, how can I get this time with my family? How can I get away you know what what accommodations can you can you make in this specific situation you have to be your own advocate and i think that's very true as a parent because nobody's going to generally speaking nobody's going to just say oh you know here you can just leave go see you later you know uh you know if i have a kid with a doctor's appointment i'm going to have to ask like hey i i need to get away like if I have something come up last minute, I, I'm going to have to to advocate for myself, even if I just need time or, you know, if I we have a counseling center, if you you need, you know, mental health services, things like that. You, you have to ask for those things. And it, maybe it could be better in a policy somewhere. But you also do, you know, have to kind of take some ownership of of that. You do have to be your best advocate. Absolutely. Yeah. For your sake and the sake of your family. 
All right. So any anybody else have any other thoughts on, you know, ways that you feel you could be better supported? I have a few thoughts. So I do think that it is important to have policies specific for parents in medical school because I think they're so used to, I don't think, so I've had the same thing where people people say to me, you know, just let us know if there's anything you need, you know, we're here for you. And But I think it's so easy for them to be so used to the typical medical student. And so the typical medical student, when they ask for time off, it's for a wedding. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm past like the wedding phase of life. Like all my friends already got mm-hmm. married, so I don't need time off for weddings. But it seems like my classmates, like if they have a wedding on a weekend, it's like so easy for them to get like a Friday off so they can go to this wedding because it's so typical. And that's just what, that's just what they're used to at CECOM for, you know, approving absences. I asked in the whole one and a half years of preclinicals, I asked to be gone one time and it was denied. So I just felt like, and it was, it had to do with more adulting than, you know, going to, not that I'm bitter that people are going to weddings, but like, it was, I needed to go out of town to refinance our house so that we had more money for medical school. So it was like a, and they didn't approve that. And it was the only time I'd ever asked. So I feel like everybody means well, but when they aren't used to the type of requests, they're not used to people asking, you know, to be gone for their kids or, you know, to do these things that are, that maybe people 10 years older are going to be needing. So in that sense, I feel like there almost does need to be a policy like, no, if these, if people are asking for this, you have to approve it because it's just as important as someone who's in the, an earlier season of life and wants to go to a friend's wedding, you know? So I think you can advocate for yourself, but in my case, (laughs) did it once and it didn't work. So (laughs) I think there have to be some policies to back you up as well. Yeah, I think that's fair. There was a great article called A Timely Problem, Parental Leave During Medical Training by Allison Webb and and some other authors. It talked about some great options that medical schools could take on. And I, I think some of these really fall in line with what we've experienced through COVID. So they talked about having some more online learning platforms, maybe also asynchronous modules with video-based instruction. I think that would be super easy after COVID because, you know, everybody was recording all of their lectures for everything and and sending them out. Electives that accommodate telecommuting. So maybe something like the elective that I'm on right now. And also other parent-friendly electives with flexible schedules that kind of uh, integrate some of the personal and professional needs of the learner. One thing that I really like that they talked about, they talked about competency-based medical education. So focusing more on like the proficiency of uh, one's skills versus the the amount of time practicing them. So, you know, you would have the learner evaluated on being able to do something like, I don't know, let's say like sutures or, or whatever. If that student was able to to show that they could do it, then, you know, they didn't have to attend whatever lecture. That That's a great way, I think, to to make it more flexible for for parents. Also, they really advocated for flexibility in the graduation requirement timeline. 
So like I think of this as in, you know, when you need to have your board exams completed, when you need to have certain required coursework completed. I, you know, Zach and I are looking at fourth year right now. And especially with COVID, you know, we get extra time off compared to normal medical school. But even normally we get 16 weeks off uh, in a year that doesn't have anything to do with COVID. Some of that's for taking exams. Some of that's for doing interviews and, and whatnot. But a lot of that is just time off. Like you you can take your vacations or whatever. And that seems like a great time to make up a lot of missed work from medical school. So there, the time's there, especially for medical students. I, I, I can see where it could be more difficult for residents, but the time's there for medical students. And I, I think that, you know, we could be more flexible in, in allowing students to, to get work done, get requirements done later. So yeah, those are some of the thoughts that this article had any any thoughts on any of that well i do want to just play devil's advocate real quick and say i think you would get pushback since this article was still more so geared towards residents yeah especially the cbme part and i feel like that's the pushback that i've heard and sure. read is that well these these rules don't apply to you and i think some of that in, inherent in that logic is the notion that you're less mature than mm-hmm. a resident as a medical student. And I mean, yeah, if if maybe you're nothing against traditional students, maybe if you're 22 years old and you've never been out yeah. on your own, like maybe you have a little less maturity than a, you know, a 35 year old who's had like three homes and five kids or whatever. But I, I think some of that is a little bit of ageism. Mm-hmm. It's like really subtle. It's not anything I can highlight and say, this is where exactly, but that's what it has come across to me as, as like, I'm getting lumped in with all of my peers, like Sally said, who are in kind of a different stage of life and they're accustomed to that. But then these recommendations in this article you mentioned, I would say, well, you know, we can do competence-based medical examinations for them because they've, you know, are at a different stage of training than you. And I, I don't know, for me, it's always just been like, Tell me if I want to just be examined for what I know now, not how long I'm sitting in a room, because I have found that can be an incredibly inefficient process at times. And I would just rather like do it in my own way and then show up and take the exam. And if I fail the exam, that's on me. That's on me. And I will happily repeat whatever thing you want me to do, you know? So I just wonder if that's why some of these options that they've mentioned for residents have not yet begun to flourish in our circles yet. What are your thoughts? I think it's always it, it's always hard to just make a change culturally. I, yeah. I'm thinking one thing I've thought a lot about is, and it may exist other places, but I heard about it that for residency actually at UCSF, they have an extended program. So for a long time, the mantra was, well, you 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 have to do it this way because that's the way you get the best education. Well, UCSF decided they could give you just as good training, spreading it out over more years with fewer hours per week. And what's really fascinating about that to me is that. Obviously, that is appealing to parents, but they don't limit it to parents. So I actually heard about it because there was a, a physician musician. She has a band. And so that's what she does with her, wow. uh, her extra 10 hours a week or whatever. That's amazing. Um, and they they gave her, the, you have to apply to it. You don't just like, yeah. you know, check a box or whatever, but yeah. they gave her the okay to do that. And so I think that's an example of a way that we can be, you can stretch our minds just a little bit about, mm-hmm. you know, what it means to be well-trained and how you mm-hmm. get there. Yeah, and there are different models for different medical schools. I mean, mm-hmm. even our medical school, we do a year and a half of preclinical work, whereas, you know, the traditional is two. 
and you have other medical schools that graduate in three years. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. obviously there's room to tweak the timeline and we're still pumping out doctors and they're they're all moving on to residency. So, you know, there might, there may be more than one way that we can we can manage, you know, medical education and and make it more inclusive for more people. And and I think having those options is definitely a, a great idea. Did you come across any international medical school literature that blew your mind? I, I saw some things, but I didn't find yeah. any novel models on this. Maybe I just missed it. There was a really good study. I might be stretching my, my memory here, but there was a good study from the UK from like 10 years ago. And I don't know that it was really remarkable. I'm, I'm shuffling through papers to see if it's actually here, but I was reading what it said and I was thinking, wow, I think if you plopped what these thoughts are, and you said you just told me hey this this study was an american study that was taken you know last week and all this data was from last week i i would probably be like oh yeah that totally mm-hmm. makes sense mm-hmm. uh so i don't know that much has changed you mm-hmm. know between mm-hmm. the uk and the us over the last 10 years mm-hmm. yeah so the study from the uk said that 6.9% of medical students or their partners have been pregnant during medical school or seven and a half total of, of the respondents had children. 23% said that they delayed children because of medical school. And 7.5% said that they chose not to have students uh, because of studying medicine. And 77.6% of respondents think that studying medicine affects the decision to become a parent. So, and they talk about time constraints, financial pressures. And so th- this is a UK study, but I, th- I think a lot of those themes... Are, are some of the things that you'd, you'd expect here, you know, struggles, finding time to study a social I- impacts of, you know, your social life. I mean, I definitely feel that as a parent, I don't, I don't know about your, your all social life, but mine <laughs> is, I think as a medical student, you have very little social life sometimes. And uh, th- throwing a parenthood on that definitely impacts things. Yeah. I pretty much just hang out with my kids and my wife. Yeah. Nick every other month <laughs> yeah yeah we get together every other month and see how things are going run into people in the hospital that's that's about it that's my social life so for sure <laughs> i found one other study from brazil that came out last year hmm. but they did it comparing medical students and law students yeah i, and, th- I saw that study yeah, as well just for listeners family planning among female medical students are their plans comparable to other professions or professionals and you have to get it translated into english unless you read portuguese <laughs> but yeah so they found that their medical students compared to their law students tended to to if they did do pregnancies go through them later mm-hmm. and that the those that chose there was like they asked the question do you just not want to have children at all and most of those that answered yes there wasn't a large percentage it was like 12 to 16 percent something in there i mean maybe larger than in america perhaps but of those most of those were surgical medical students like planning on doing the surgical track so they found that it was pretty revolved around whether that person wanted to do a surgical career if they had a late pregnancy or a pregnancy at all i mean so yeah like you said it doesn't sound much different than the issues we're dealing with here and this is just data that was published recently. Yeah, I think I think the reality is medicine is difficult. It's a very demanding career. It asks a lot of of us as, you know, budding doctors. And and 
you know, regardless, you're going to make sacrifices. And some of that's going to include sacrificing time with family. Whether that's good or not, I think we can make it better. But I think there's always going to be a sense of that because you're entering into a career where self-sacrifice is, is part of the game. You're, you know, we, we have the sense of altruism where, you know, we're here to help people. And some of that helping others is going to be at the expense of ourselves. And there's always going to be a sense of that. I, I think we can make it better so that we don't always have to go through so much difficulty for us and our families. But it's it's an intense career. That's high stakes. And part of it is we, we chose to be here. So there is a sense where we have to somewhat live with with some of that decision. I think that's absolutely true. But that's one reason why when you're still a medical student and no one's really depending on you much yeah. yet. Mm-hmm. That's why this is actually a good time. Mm-hmm. Possibly easier for the parent as opposed to residency. Certainly yeah. certainly easier on the of colleagues course. to not have somebody go to go missing. So, yeah. I mean, the more that schools can do to make it easier for... <laughs> I mean, not everybody's even ready, right? You, you haven't found your partner yet or you yeah. don't want to do it by yourself. But the more that schools can do to help people who want to have their families earlier than they'll be ready to show up and hit the ground running in residency. Very true. Win-win. Yeah, I think we talked a lot about that in the last show. That you? Uh, you know, medical school is a time with more flexibility than you're going to have any other time in your medical training. So, you know, take advantage of that, I guess. Definitely. Any other thoughts? I agree. There's. It's definitely, you know, you have to be responsible for yourself and the decisions you make. And, you know, knowing that I did decide to continue to go into med school having a child you know I knew there would be additional challenges associated with it and you know you you do have to kind of conform to some degree with the curriculum that is required you know regardless of of what you know you're doing they the school has to teach a certain amount of things because they are required to for you know accreditation purposes Mm-hmm. So they have to, you know, show that they're educating their students, you know, to some degree. And so there's probably a nice balance that we're not quite at yet. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think there's a great start with like having policies, you know, for, for family leave and having some makeup policies available to that. You can't just go willy nilly, you know, hey, show up when you want. Yeah. Don't show up when you don't want. Mm-hmm. You know, you mm-hmm. still have a responsibility to the material mm-hmm. and a responsibility to be a good doctor. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, Definitely. Well, that's our show. (laughs) (laughs) Sally, Katie, Jess, Zach, thanks for joining me. And thank you, Short Coats, for taking the time to listen to me ramble on. If you like what you heard here today, subscribe to our show. Our editors for the show is me, but normally it's AJ Chowdhury and Eric Bozart. Alex Belzar is our marketing coordinator. This show is made possible by a generous donation by the Carver College of Medicine student government and ongoing support from the Writing and Humanities program. Our music is by Dr. Vox and Catmosphere. I'm Nick Lind. Good luck chasing your kids around. <laughs> we'll talk to you in one week. That was fun. Yeah. Great Thank job. you. Thanks, guys. Hi, short coats. Look, life in medical education, life in America, life in the world is often difficult. 
and I often wish I could help. All I have is this podcast, but in my wildest dreams, you have the support you need to lead a life of your choosing. You deserve to be happy, healthy, and successful in whatever ways you define those words. So if you need support because you've experienced racism, discrimination, harassment, mental health crises, I want you to be able to get the help that you need. And so I'm going to put some links in the show notes to some resources that you can use. But the bottom line is that for what it's worth, I see you. I know you're out there. I wish I could do more. Maybe I can in ways that I don't understand yet or know about. But I see you and I'm glad you're here and other people are too.